two, one. Let's go. It's time to dad up. Welcome to the Dad Up Podcast. The podcast for dads about dads being dads. Get ready for exciting guests talking about their experiences of parenting, the good and the not so good. Bang that subscribe button so you don't miss a single episode. And let's get started. Here is your host, Brian Ward. Welcome to another episode of Dad Up, everyone. Thank you guys very much for joining in. I'm excited for the guests that I have on. And I want you to pay close attention because the uh, events that he and his wife have been through and the stuff that they're doing now is amazing. And uh, it's, uh, it's, it's going to play into parenting. And so I'm excited to welcome Dr. Aaron Quinn to Dad Up. Welcome to the show, brother. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Awesome. For my listeners who don't know who you are, uh, you know, as I told you before we started recording, you know, I saw you and your wife uh, and your story on 2020, and it's been all over the place. I mean, it's it's gone, you know, nationwide on all kinds of different news channels. But um, kind of take me back. I, I want to know the journey, not only how you guys met, but also um, the stuff that you guys went through. I want my listeners to hear the uh, the events that you guys went through, and then obviously we'll dive into uh, to your parenting role. Yeah, so I'm a physical therapist by trade. Um, I have a doctorate degree in that. And my wife, Denise Huskins, I met at uh, Kaiser Vallejo in California doing neurological rehab. So people had suffered from strokes or suffered brain injuries or spinal cord injuries. Uh, back in March of 2015, uh, Denise and I were dating and she was staying over at my house and a group of armed intruders broke into, uh, into my home and ended up uh, with weapons, uh, tied, tied me up, drugged us, uh, ended up taking Denise for, uh, kidnapping for ransom. Uh, during that time they had put me in my own home prison. So they had put up security cameras and were observing me. Uh, eventually I realized the cameras weren't fully working. I went to police, police, and then interrogated me for 18 hours stating that um, I had killed Denise and that the kidnapping didn't occur. However, Denise was actually put in the trunk of a car, brought to undisclosed location where she was repeatedly drugged and sexually assaulted twice. The kidnappers did let her go two days later. Uh, upon her release, the police said that Denise and I had made up the whole kidnapping and uh, she was labeled a real life gone girl. Uh, despite our efforts to try to get police to do an actual investigation and catch these dangerous criminals. Uh, they didn't pursue any of the leads that would have led them to the perpetrators. Um, unfortunately, another family a few months later were attacked by one of them. Uh, that police department in Dublin and Detective Missy Kerarusu uh, followed all the leads and did above and beyond and actually connect them to our crime, uh, which got a dangerous man off the street and also helped uh, restore our reputations. Mm. So, uh, you know, this, uh, gosh, I think back to, um, you know, the stuff that you guys have gone through and I, I kind of play it in a role that, you know, maybe it's something that, you know, anybody, any, any of us could have that experience. I mean, there's, there's obviously home invasion robberies that happen all the time, uh, but to take it a step further to where they're now kidnapping your wife and you're at a point where you're drugged and, and, and tied up, you can't do anything. Um, 
take me, take me to that, of the emotions that you were going through, the feelings that you were having at that moment. Uh, I mean, it's traumatic, uh, but I think it's important for my listeners to understand uh, just the impact that it has on, on an individual. Yeah. So this group was uh, actually stalking me for about six months and I prepared oh. for this crime. Um, and actually the week prior to, I had been feeling uh, paranoid at my house. Um, my security system was start kind of acting in and out. I was trying to fix that. Uh, I started thinking maybe I'm just, um, I'm just overthinking. I'm, I'm being, uh, again, paranoid. Uh, when I woke up, they woke us up at three in the morning, which is uh, when we're typically in our deepest sleep uh, with weapons and tasers, guns, knives, uh, and then made Denise tie me up, which as I stood 10, 15 feet away. So in that moment, I knew fighting back was in, impossible, right? You don't bring a, a, a knife to a gunfight. And uh, there was a severe sense of hopelessness. And what I was trying to do is extend the situation as long as we could without us suffering physical harm. Um, that was my priority was keep us from being physically tortured and hopefully keep Denise from being sexually assaulted, which um, of course happened. Uh, so at that moment, you really get any sort of, um, I guess, like trivial possessions and those things don't really matter. It really brings you down to what's what's most important is our, our health, our safety and each other. Anything else can be replaced. Um, and that's what I was trying to hopefully, uh, that's what I kept focusing on. And more importantly is, you know, you don't need to go through a kidnapping or any, this, something that's traumatic to have, uh, to have those feelings of loss or feelings of hopelessness. Uh, so in turn, I try to control my breath, uh, try to keep myself from hyperventilating so that I could be as clear as I could. Uh, I think my experience as a physical therapist in the hospital, uh, I've done, had to perform CPR on patients. Uh, many of the patients I worked with are fragile health conditions. So I have been in medical emergencies and you just try to focus at the task at hand. And then once you're in a safe place and you really, then you can process all that um, trauma this big has taken me years and I continue to work on processing through it. Yeah. Now, now that she's, you know, in that moment where she, she has now been taken and you've gone to the police, why do you think the police didn't believe you? Do you, do you ever, did you ever get an understanding as to that? Uh, not fully. Uh, I know the police were accusatory right from the beginning. Uh, the kidnappers had drugged us. And one of the first questions the police asked was if I was on drugs, which wasn't an uh, unreasonable question. And I said, yes, the kidnappers drugged me. Uh, then they continued to ask if I'd been partying, which uh, it, this happened Sunday night and I was working Monday morning. It was so they they looked at anything besides a kidnapping. And uh, unfortunately, there's one study that shows that police officers will decide if you're lying within seven seconds. Um, the, these officers, I think kind of the initial officers kind of softened a little bit. Um, but the detectives, uh, I'm not quite sure why they, they just said it was unbelievable. And that was the end of the story. So best case scenario for them was confirmation bias and tunnel vision, which, you know, police officers aren't immune to that. We're all, we can all suffer from confirmation bias and tunnel vision, uh, we also, uh, we did the 2020, as you mentioned, but uh, we wrote a book called Victim F. Uh, and I think you'll, we chronicle our experience throughout that. 
Um, hopefully people will learn from our experience, maybe to avoid the rush to judgment, um, take a pause because uh, that can lead you down a dark road or a misguided road with even the best intentions. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, I, I, first of all, let me just say that I'm, I'm sorry that you guys went through what you went through and experienced what you, uh, you know, experienced, and especially for your wife. Um, I know that that, that obviously is still uh, playing a, a role in your minds now. I mean, you guys, I'm sure are still going through some sort of uh, therapy um, to kind of work through that. And obviously you wrote the book, which is uh, a good uh, way to release uh, any of those emotions that you guys are feeling. Um, now, when it comes to those, I know that this was, this happened in Northern California, correct? And then she was released in Southern California. Uh, if I remember correctly from the episode, she was released in Southern California um, and they were holding her for ransom. But why, why all of a sudden did they just realize that there wasn't going to be anything coming of it? So they just released her. Or do you think the ransom was just. Okay. Uh, they had stated that they're going to take her for 48 hours. Um, okay. They, this was a group that was planning on uh, targeting higher net worth. Um, I guess victims. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm a physical therapist, but I'm not a millionaire. I'm not a son of an ambassador. There was no, they, they chose us to practice their um, techniques. And so mm. they, uh, I don't think the ransom, they would have taken my money, but the, uh, the ransom was a, not necessarily the primary goal. And even the, when the kidnappers told Denise that it doesn't matter if they get the money because they can use this as um, almost as an advertisement that they could take a victim and not be caught by uh, mm. the police and also um, not only just the local law enforcement, but the FBI was involved as well. Uh, so they were using this as almost as a, as I put in the book, as a sadistic unpaid in, internship. Huh. Wow. Um, now you, you said that there were three of them uh, and you said that one of them uh, has now been c convicted and is in jail, but what about the other two? Uh, we don't know where they're at and that's part of uh why we wrote the why we wrote the book why we continue to tell our stories to um hopefully uh maybe either get the case re-looked at or have other officers learn from from the mistakes by vallejo police and the local fbi agents uh, because by attacking victims um they let uh, dangerous people free and hopefully those two individuals uh don't attack another family, but they, they may, uh, and, uh, you know, bad police work or makes the public less safe. And what we're looking for is we know the police, we know the police do a, a very important job, but we're just looking for a level of accountability, um, uh, just like any other profession, uh, that when they make mistakes to hold up to it and make changes to that, uh, unfortunately in our case of Vallejo police department, uh, actually doubled down and a detective who, Detective Matt Mustard, who uh, basically bungled this case, they gave him officer a year that year, um, mm. and so it's unfortunate that they're not willing to make the changes that are necessary, which would because bad police work doesn't help the good police and doesn't help right. the community. Right. Yeah. Um, now, when it comes to uh, you know where you are today, the things based on the things that you guys have gone through. Um, have you changed your mannerisms? Are you more aware now? I know for me, I'm ex-military, so I was in the Marine Corps and just my training in the Marines 
even when I'm out in public and stuff, I'm very aware of my surroundings and I always have, uh, I, I guess it's just natural through the training that I went through, but I always have an eye on, you know, various outlets or if, you know, things play in my mind, like if this happens, you know, what am I going to do? How am I going to react? Um, so I'm always aware of my surroundings. Uh, even when I go to public places and I'm, and I walk into a room, I'm always facing the door because I want to know who's coming in. I don't want to have my back to the door, just those kind of things. Are there things or mannerisms that you guys have now changed because of the experience you went through? Yes, absolutely. So part of my PTSD is uh, hypervigilance. So uh, there's one thing of being aware of surroundings, but I am I have to fight uh, being seeing threats everywhere. Um, for example, the kidnappers have put, as I mentioned, the kidnappers put security cameras up in my house to watch me. So when I walk by a security camera, I'm, I get that sense of anxiety and I'm a hypervigilant of those, uh, which is actually a, a perfectly sound security measure. Uh, and I guess one thing for people to understand if, if they haven't experienced PTSD is that um, your response to the trauma is appropriate. So everything I did during the, the home invasion and the threats afterwards was an appropriate response. It's when you're outside of that scenario, scenario, you have a similar response. So if I see a security camera, I get into, you know, those like clammy sweats or, um, mm. you know, uh, I can feel my breathing get more shallow. I can feel the tension in my, my throat and up into my shoulders. So try and ground myself during that moment. Um, recognizing that's okay to be aware of your surroundings, but I don't need to uh, have my eyes dart everywhere. So it's, uh, try and retrain myself to have appropriate responses to the stimulus at hand. Mm. Okay, excellent. Um, now, kind of transitioning. I mean, you guys wrote the book. Um, obviously, you guys uh, got married, um, had a beautiful daughter. Um, how old is your daughter now? She's about uh, 17 months. 17 months. Okay. So you're a new dad. I'm an old school dad. I've got a 22 year old and a 19 year old. So uh, I've been, I've been through fatherhood for, for a few years now, but uh, um, for you, you got a, you got a young baby at home. Um, how has that impacted you kind of transitioning now in your father role? How has what you guys went through impacted you or has it impacted you as a dad? Are you guys overprotective? Uh, you know, the different things that you guys look out for. I think we're, probably a little overprotective in some ways. Um, I mean, I try to keep her in my sights all, all the time, but that's probably not abnormal for a new dad. Uh, I think uh, one thing as, as a physical therapist, I had people ask if I was like gonna like, uh, you know, quote unquote PT her. And I was like, I don't need to do that. The mother nature has figured this out. I just let her play. I make sure if she falls, it's not catastrophic. It's like, she needs a fall, but I just don't want her to fall. And uh, off the ledge. <laughs> uh, yeah. We were, she was born March 25th of 2020, which, which was exactly five days a year of Denise's release. Um, mm -hmm. And in many ways, that was a, another blessing. Um, for the years prior to Denise, I would always go on a trip um, around the anniversary of the kidnapping to make new memories. So mm. we'd go the first year we were up um, in Hawaii on top of a volcano when the time. Oh, cool. Came watching the sunrise there now we get to celebrate our daughter's uh birthdays um so it really we get to rewrite the story and her um uh, which is really important the, the story that we the most important story we tell is one we tell ourselves and 
Um, our daughter is a beautiful part of that. Uh, going back to, to how PTSD can take you out of the moment, uh, being with her, kids are very present and they're very engaged and it allows me to uh, see the world through her eyes uh, and celebrate those small, beautiful miracles. Like, uh, you know, when she first started noticing birds, I was, you recognize like, yeah, man, birds are incredible. And you appreciate those things. And that gives me a level of gratitude. Uh, so she's, I'm sure as you would attest that being a parent, you get just as much from the kids as hopefully you provide to them. Yeah. Yeah. That's beautiful. I love that. Um, and that's cool that you guys do that every year. Uh, important to create memories and uh, you know, for me as a dad, it was always important for me to create memories and also be involved as much as I could in everything that they did. And, and just kind of knowing you now and, and kind of seeing the person you are and the dad that you are, I'm sure that that's exactly how you're going to be. You're going to, you and your wife both are going to be super involved parents. Um, so that's, that's awesome. What are you looking forward to, you know, with her kind of growing up? Uh, she, it's going to go fast. It's going to go fast. So be prepared. Uh, but what do you, you know, what are you guys looking most looking forward to with her um, growing up? Well, I think we're already seeing it a little bit as she, her personality is starting to show up and her um, ability to interact in the world. Um, I think for us, it's more, I'm hoping she finds um, a passion or something that gives her meaning outside of herself. And that could be in music, that could be in the arts, that could be in sports. It doesn't, um, you know, as a, uh, as a therapist now, I actually do more sports performance, uh, but I'm not going to push her down that route. Uh, I just want her to find, I guess, I guess I'll put to it. I hope that she finds something physical she enjoys doing. That could be, you know, we live near the ocean, it could be surfing, it could be hiking, whatever. And then something uh, creative. Uh, I know for what's been helpful for our recovery was to, uh, Denise started painting. I do some drawing and woodworking and those like actually having those creative outlets, uh, are really helpful. Um, those are, that's kind of what I'm looking for is just for her to, to give her, um, an environment where she can, can figure out what's best for her. And I'm just going to try to give her as many opportunities and support her through that. Yeah. Um, now when she's old enough, uh, are you guys going to share the experiences that you went through with her? or if she starts to hear things maybe, or see things on social media or whatnot, uh, maybe she questions it. Uh, is that something that's important to you or are you guys gonna try to steer away from that? No, with, with, without question, we're gonna show her, um, tell her about it. Uh, and I want her to know from us. Uh, now, as she ages, that story will change and, and how we tell it, just like how you describe anything to, you know, a five-year-old to, it's different yeah. than 10 year old and 10 year old is different than 15 year old. Uh, but if we held that back from her, I think it would, it would create a, even if it wasn't verbally said, it would create a barrier. And I right. want her to always know that she can come to us no matter what. Um, and we trust her to share our experience. And she really is the happy ending to our, our trauma. Um, that's right. You know, uh, I guess going back to your original question was thinking when all this stuff happened uh, was just give me a few more moments on the couch with Denise. Just give me like, I don't right. forget, but you don't care about like, Oh, I want to climb Mount Everest. All the, all these extreme, like these big things you just go, just give me those basic moments again. And um, having her, especially during the pandemic, we're, we're home a lot more enjoying those, those moments. Uh, 
So we will tell her because um, it's shaped us. And without question, something that, that type of event has to change you. Um, it's, and I believe because of her and by sharing our story, it's, um, I wouldn't wish to go through it, but I think it's changed us for the better. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. You know, I talk a lot about my show about, um, you know, not living with regret. And, um, you know, when I'm, when I'm at the point where I'm about to go meet my heavenly father, I want to know that I didn't live my life without a regret. I have no regrets in my life. So, um, it's important for that. Now I wanted, I did want to ask you one more question and I know that, uh, you know, she's too young for this question now. Um, but as she gets older, if I were to ask your daughter, um, tell me something about your dad, uh, what, what would you hope that she would say about you? Hmm. Um, it's a good question. Uh, I hope she would think that I treat people with empathy and respect. Mm. And that includes um, everyone I meet, um, including myself. Uh, for many years, I was really hard on, my, on myself. Uh, I, had to I have to remind myself what I would, what I would say if it was my friend telling me this. Right. And I try to have that type of self-talk. And, uh, and I believe that, uh, I believe that empathy, typically empathy is described as uh, putting yourself in someone else's shoes, which um, I think is impossible. So I believe empathy is knowing that you'll never be in someone else's shoes, but you try anyways. Mm -hmm. And I hope my daughter sees me treat people that way and knows that I love her so much. Awesome. Well, very cool. Uh, Aaron, uh, Dr. Aaron, Aaron, Dr. Quinn, uh, if, if, uh, if my listeners or you know, my viewers wanted to look you up, learn a little bit more about you, maybe pick up the book, what's the best place for them to do all that stuff? Yeah, they can pick up the book at victimf.com uh, and they can find out a little bit more about Denise and myself. Uh, also, as I mentioned, I do sports performance, some of those things, if they're interested in coaching, if they're interested in that, it's a I work at Apiros, A-P-I-R-O-S dot team, T-E-A-M. Those are uh, my kind of two avenues of professional careers right now. Awesome. Well, I'll make sure to put those links uh, when the show publishes. But um, listen, it's it's been a pleasure to have you on. I really appreciate you sharing you know, the story of, you know, the experience that you and your wife went through, uh, and also about your daughter. Um, so I appreciate you taking the time out of your, out of your day. And, um, I look forward to staying in touch with you and to see how you guys are doing. Yeah. Thank you very much. I think this is a really important podcast. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to the dad up podcast. Be sure to subscribe. So you don't miss the next weekly episode while you're at it leave a rating and review. And if you know someone this show can help, be sure to share it with them. Want to learn more? Check out the website at daduptribe.com or leave Brian a message on Instagram at daduppodcast. <laughs>